Letter eleven of Evelina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Evelina by Fanny Burney. Letter eleven. Evelina in continuation. Queen Anne Street, April fifth, Tuesday morning. I have a vast deal to say, and shall give all this morning to my pen. As to my plan of writing every evening the adventures of the day, I find it impracticable, for the diversions here are so very late, that if I begin my letters after them, I could not go to bed at all. We passed a most extraordinary evening. A private ball this was called, so I expected to have seen about four or five couples. But, Lord! my dear sir, I believe I saw half the world! Two very large rooms were full of company. In one were cards for the elderly ladies, and in the other were the dancers. My mamma Mervyn, for she always calls me her child, said she would sit with Maria and me till we were provided with partners, and then join the card-players. The gentlemen, as they passed and repassed, looked as if they thought we were quite at their disposal, and only waiting for the honour of their commands, and they sauntered about, in a careless, indolent manner, as if with a view to keep us in suspense. I don't speak of this in regard to Miss Mervyn and myself only, but to the ladies in general and I thought it so provoking, that I determined in my own mind that, far from humouring such airs, I would rather not dance at all, than with any one who would seem to think me ready to accept the first partner who would condescend to take me. Not long after, a young man, who had for some time looked at us with a kind of negligent impertinence, advanced on tiptoe towards me. He had a set smile on his face, and his dress was so foppish, that I really believed he even wished to be stared at and yet he was very ugly. Bowing almost to the ground with a sort of swing, and waving his hand with the greatest conceit, after a short and silly pause, he said, "'Madame, may I presume?' and stopped, offering to take my hand. I drew it back, but could scarcely forbear laughing. "'Allow me, madame,' continued he, affectedly breaking off every half-moment, the honour and happiness, if I am not so unhappy as to address you too late, to have the happiness and honour." Again he would have taken my hand, but bowing my head I begged to be excused, and turned to Miss Mervyn to conceal my laughter. He then desired to know if I had already engaged myself to some more fortunate man. I said no, and that I believed I should not dance at all. He would keep himself, he told me, disengaged, in hopes I should relent and then uttering some ridiculous speeches of sorrow and disappointment, though his face still wore the same invariable smile, he retreated. It so happened, as we have since recollected, that during this little dialogue Mrs. Mervyn was conversing with the lady of the house, and very soon after another gentleman, who seemed about six and twenty years old, gaily but not foppishly dressed, and indeed extremely handsome, with an air of mixed politeness and gallantry, desired to know if I was engaged, or would honour him with my hand. So he was pleased to say, though I am sure I know not what honour he could receive from me. But these sort of expressions, I find, are used as words of course, without any distinction of persons or study of propriety. Well, I bowed, and I am sure I coloured, for indeed I was frightened at the thoughts of dancing before so many people, all strangers, and which was worse, with a stranger. However, that was unavoidable, for though I looked round the room several times, I could not see one person that I knew. And so, he took my hand, and led me to join in the dance. The minuets were over before we arrived, for we were kept late by the milliners making us wait for our things. 
He seemed very desirous of entering into conversation with me. But I was seized with such a panic, that I could hardly speak a word, and nothing but the shame of so soon changing my mind prevented my returning to my seat, and declining to dance at all. He appeared to be surprised at my terror, which I believe was but too apparent. However, he asked no questions, though I fear he must think it very strange, for I did not choose to tell him it was owing to my never before dancing but with a school-girl. His conversation was sensible and spirited, his air and address were open and noble, his manners gentle, attentive, and infinitely engaging, his person is all elegance, and his countenance the most animated and expressive I have ever seen. In a short time we were joined by Miss Mervyn, who stood next couple to us. But how I was startled when she whispered me that my partner was a nobleman! This gave me a new alarm. How will he be provoked, thought I, when he finds what a simple rustic he is honoured with his choice, one whose ignorance of the world makes her perpetually fear doing something wrong? That he should be so much my superior in every way quite disconcerted me, and you will suppose my spirits were not much raised, when I heard a lady in passing us say, This is the most difficult dance I ever saw. Oh, dear, then, cried Maria to her partner, with your leave I'll sit down till the next. So will I too, then, cried I, for I am sure I can hardly stand. But you must speak to your partner first, answered she, for he had turned aside to talk with some gentleman. However, I had not sufficient courage to address him, and so away we all three tripped and seated ourselves at another end of the room. But unfortunately for me, Miss Mervyn soon after suffered herself to be prevailed upon to attempt the dance, and just as she rose to go, she cried, My dear, yonder is your partner. Lord Orville walking about the room in search of you. "'Don't leave me, then, dear girl,' cried I. But she was obliged to go. And now I was more uneasy than ever. I would have given the world to have seen Mrs. Mervyn, and begged of her to make my apologies. For what, thought I, could I possibly say to him an excuse for running away? He must either conclude me a fool, or half mad, for any one brought up in the great world and accustomed to its ways, can have no idea of such sort of fears as mine.' My confusion increased when I observed that he was everywhere seeking me, with apparent perplexity and surprise. But when at last I saw him move towards the place where I sat, I was ready to sink with shame and distress. I found it absolutely impossible to keep my seat, because I could not think of a word to say for myself, and so I rose and walked hastily towards the card-room, resolving to stay with Mrs. Mervyn the rest of the evening, and not to dance at all. But before I could find her, Lord Orville saw and approached me. He begged to know if I was not well. You may easily imagine how much I was embarrassed. I made no answer, but hung my head like a fool, and looked on my fan. He then, with an air the most respectfully serious, asked if he had been so unhappy as to offend me. "'No, indeed!' cried I. And in hopes of changing the discourse, and preventing his further inquiries, I desired to know if he had seen the young lady who had been conversing with me. "'No. But would I honour him with any commands to her?' Oh, by no means! Was there any other person with whom I wished to speak? I said no, before I knew I had answered at all. Should he have the pleasure of bringing me any refreshment? I bowed, almost involuntarily, and away he flew. I was quite ashamed of being so troublesome, and so much above myself as these seeming airs made me appear, but indeed I was too much confused to think or act with any consistency. If he had not been as swift as lightning, I don't know whether I should not have stolen away again, but he returned in a moment. When I had drank a glass of lemonade, he hoped, he said, that I would again honour him with my hand, as a new dance was just begun. 
I had not the presence of mind to say a single word, and so I let him once more lead me to the place I had left. Shocked to find how silly, how childish a part I had acted, my former fears of dancing before such a company, and with such a partner, returned more forcibly than ever. I suppose he perceived my uneasiness, for he entreated me to sit down again if dancing was disagreeable to me. But I was quite satisfied with the folly I had already shown, and therefore declined his offer, though I was really scarce able to stand. Under such conscious disadvantages, you may easily imagine, my dear sir, how ill I acquitted myself. But though I both expected and deserved to find him very much mortified and displeased at his ill fortune in the choice he had made, yet, to my very great relief, he appeared to be even contented, and very much assisted and encouraged me. These people in high life have too much presence of mind, I believe, to seem disconcerted or out of humour, however they may feel. For had I been the person of the most consequence in the room, I could not have met with more attention and respect. When the dance was over, seeing me still very much flurried, he led me to a seat, saying that he would not suffer me to fatigue myself from politeness. And then, if my capacity, or even if my spirits had been better, in how animated a conversation I might have been engaged! It was then I saw that the rank of Lord Orville was his least recommendation, his understanding and his manners being far more distinguished. His remarks upon the company in general were so apt, so just, so lively, I am almost surprised myself that they did not reanimate me. But indeed I was too well convinced of the ridiculous part I had myself played before so nice an observer, to be able to enjoy his pleasantry. So self-compassion gave me feeling for others. Yet I had not the courage to attempt either to defend them or to rally in my turn, but listened to him in silent embarrassment. When he found this, he changed the subject, and talked of public places and public performers, but he soon discovered that I was totally ignorant of them. He then very ingeniously turned the discourse to the amusements and occupations of the country. It now struck me that he was resolved to try whether or not I was capable of talking upon any subject. This put so great a restraint upon my thoughts, that I was unable to go further than a monosyllable, and not ever so far, when I could possibly avoid it. We were sitting in this manner, he conversing with all gaiety, I looking down with all foolishness, when that fop who had first asked me to dance, with the most ridiculous solemnity approached, and after a profound bow or two, said, I humbly beg pardon, madame, and of you too, my lord, for breaking in upon such agreeable conversation, which must doubtless be more delectable than what I have the honour to offer, but—I interrupted him. I blush for my folly, with laughing. Yet I could not help it, for added to the man's stately foppishness, and he actually took snuff between every three words. When I looked around at Lord Orville, I saw such extreme surprise in his face, the cause of which appeared so absurd, that I could not for my life preserve my gravity. I had not laughed before from the time I had left Miss Mervyn, and I had much better have cried then. Lord Orville actually stared at me. The beau, I knew not his name, looked quite enraged. "'Refrain, madam,' said he, with an important air. A few moments refrain, I have but a sentence to trouble you with. May I know to what accident I must attribute not having the honour of your hand?" "'Accident, sir?' repeated I, much astonished. "'Yes, accident, madam. For surely I must take the liberty to observe—pardon me, madam, it ought to be no common one—that should tempt a lady, so young a one, too, to be guilty of ill manners.' A confused idea now for the first time entered my head, of something I had heard of the rules of an assembly. But I was never at one before. I have only danced at school, 
and so giddy and heedless I was, that I had not once considered the impropriety of refusing one partner, and afterwards accepting another. I was thunderstruck at the recollection, but while these thoughts were rushing into my head, Lord Orville, with some warmth, said, "'This lady, sir, is incapable of meriting such an accusation.' The creature, for I am very angry with him, made a low bow, and with a grin the most malicious I ever saw. "'My lord,' said he, "'far be it from me to accuse the lady for having the discernment to distinguish and prefer the superior attractions of your lordship.' Again he bowed, and walked off. Was ever anything so provoking? I was ready to die with shame. "'What a coxcomb!' exclaimed Lord Orville. While I, without knowing what I did, rose hastily, and moving off, "'I can't imagine,' cried I, "'where Mrs. Mervyn has hid herself.' "'Give me leave to see,' answered he. I bowed, and sat down again, not daring to meet his eyes. For what must he think of me, between my blunder and the supposed preference?' He returned in a moment, and told me that Mrs. Mervyn was at cards, but would be glad to see me, and I went immediately. There was but one chair vacant, so to my great relief Lord Orville presently left us. I then told Mrs. Mervyn my disasters, and she good-naturedly blamed herself for not having better instructed me, but said she had taken it for granted that I must know such common customs. However, the man may, I think, be satisfied with his pretty speech, and carry his resentment no farther. In a short time, Lord Orville returned. I consented with the best grace I could to go down another dance, for I had had time to recollect myself, and therefore resolved to use some exertion, and if possible to appear less a fool than I had hitherto done. For it occurred to me that, insignificant as I was, compared to a man of his rank and figure, yet, since he had been so unfortunate as to make a choice of me for a partner, why I should endeavour to make the best of it. The dance, however, was short, and he spoke very little so I had no opportunity of putting my resolution in practice. He was satisfied, I suppose, with his former successless efforts to draw me out, or rather I fancied he had been inquiring who I was. This again disconcerted me, and the spirits I had determined to exert again failed me. Tired, ashamed, and mortified, I begged to sit down till we returned home, which I did soon after. Lord Orville did me the honour to hand me to the coach, talking all the way of the honour I had done him. Oh, these fashionable people! Well, my dear sir, was it not a strange evening? I could not help being thus particular, because to me everything is so new. But it is now time to conclude. I am, with all love and duty, your Evelina. End of letter 11